0: Today on the Relationship Revival Show, we're talking to Dr. Elizabeth Federick. Dr. Federick is a licensed professional counselor and relationship expert, as well as a multi-location group private practice owner in Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Liz specializes in intimacy, relationship barriers, communication skills, and helping her clients to break the toxic cycle and address dysfunctional relational behaviors. Dr. Liz hosts a relationship-based podcast podcast, called Relatable Relationships Unfiltered and stays active with an amazing Instagram community. She also engages in mental health talks and media interviews like on Good Day LA, US Weekly, or excuse me, Us Weekly, and various different podcasts just like this one. As well as contributing to mental health articles for various media outlets as seen in Oprah Daily, Self Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post, and more. You're listening to the Relationship Revival Podcast with John DeBach, also known as Mr. Spirituality. That's me. I'm your host giving you insights and guidance from over 10 years in the field of this amazing journey we call romance. On this show, I go over everything you need to know about how to get into a relationship, how to get the most out of a relationship, and sometimes even how to gracefully end a relationship without pulling your hair out and going crazy. And occasionally, I'm even joined by new and old friends who are also relationship experts to bring you guidance and wisdom with new perspectives. Thanks for stopping by, Doctor Elizabeth Frederick. Liz, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, and thank you for that mouthful of an introduction. I appreciate you yeah. sharing that all about me. I, think I
0: stumbled on a word or two. Maybe I'll rerecord no, it. No, that's
1: right. no. I, I appreciate <laughs> you sharing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I I love how active you are in giving great advice on Instagram and all your social, you know, what, first let's start there. What kind of motivated you to jump on Instagram and kind of share all those insights with the world?
1: Yeah, so that was a twofold thing. What got me on Instagram was I opened my uh, private practice in 2019. And so it was just a marketing approach that I was using at that time. I had no idea it would turn into what it is. Um, and the the reason it pivoted into what it is is when I really took on relationships as my niche. And so um, that really became my passion and what I put a lot of time and energy into um and so then from there, that's why it's grown into what it is, because a lot of people could relate to the content that I was putting out. I am very transparent. I'm very authentic. I am who I am. And I don't I don't try to be anyone else. And I think that a lot of people can appreciate um, that an expert in our field is just like anyone else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for me, I remember going to some things with John and Julie Gottman and I was in the audience and, and they're the the thing you see about them is they're just, they're normal, right? They're a normal couple. They fight. He always says something really funny too. He says, uh, you know, when, when we teach conflict resolution, we always use an example from our own lives to make it feel real. <clears throat> and he said, you know, we're never at a loss of what we, what, like there's always something in the last couple of days that we fought about that we can bring up. So I thought that was, you know, it's nice to kind of, see how human people are even even when you're on the other end of it. I mean, I've been married for 13 years and we still fight and my wife's a therapist and it's, you know say la vie, that's just the way it goes.
1: That is just the way it goes. I, there's lots of triggers and lots of emotions and threat states and it's like you said, we're human.
0: What do you find to be the the most rewarding part of your job? Do you like the social media? Is it the private coaching you do? Is it running your group practice? I know you have a book coming out. What's the most exciting? I mean, you're, you know, you got your hands in a lot of cookie jars.
1: <laughs> what I enjoy to do. Um, no, I, all of it. I really am passionate about all of it. Um, it sounds so overwhelming when you say it like that. Um, the one-on-one interactions with my clients is what I am most passionate about. So whether that is my therapy clients, my coaching clients, um, that is, you know, a different approach, how I'm handling each, but that um, having the honor to hear somebody's story and to be a part of their journey is by far the most rewarding aspect of this. And then the, um, you know, the additional aspect of that is then whether through Instagram or my book or other content that I put out, that I get to share that knowledge more with the masses and that people can benefit from it, even if they can't be my one-on-one client. Like I find so much value in that. Um, But where I derive like my full joy and passion is that those one-on-one with my clients or maybe one-on-two if I'm working with a couple, but basically with my clients.
0: Well, so that's actually that little snippet at the end there. That's a good question. Do you have a preference working with couples versus working with individuals?
1: No my preference is to work with motivated people so i don't I don't care at all like what the context or format of that is, but um, people who really are coming in saying "I want to change I'm willing to do what it takes um, that is what lights me up because that is just so much fun because it's so much fun then when they actually see the change and um and they just feel so good about that it gives them so much hope
0: so I had a really interesting couple a year or two back. And someone asked me to make a video of five of the worst things I've heard in couples therapy. And one of the things I remember is the wife came in and she said, I'm just here to listen. Don't, don't plan on me saying anything. And it went like that for three sessions. Um, and at the end, she stood up and she called her husband an effing idiot and left the room. And he stayed a client for a while. But you know, and I was like, OK. And it was an interesting one. I think I would have handled it a little differently now after being through it. But it leads me to that question of when someone isn't motivated, when you especially in a couple where one, you know, because there's always someone who's just a little bit more motivated. But you get those couples where one of them is just like stuck in the mud and resistant. What's your approach when you have a couple like that?
1: Yeah, that is a great question because that does come up. Um, in, in, the particular instance that you just gave the example of, um, I, so much empathy would have been extended to her probably really quickly because, you know, there's a reason she's in that state.
0: Yeah, sure. And,
1: um, so that is usually kind of the approach I take with the one that is maybe more checked out or the one that is presenting as less motivated. Um, you and I both know they're likely less motivated because they're really hurt, and there's been probably a lot of compounding um, whatever conflict, resentment, whatever it is that has led to that. And so, generally, I start by getting really curious of, um, you know, why is the wall up? Where is these re- resentments coming from? So instead of treating it like they are being combative. I'm coming at it from from a lot of empathy, but also to be fair, one of my first questions I ask at the during the intake is, are you both equally motivated and invested? Um, because I pretty much say, don't waste your money if you're not like there's you know if if it might be better for you guys to each start with like individual therapy and then come back you know if things change. Um, but because of my approach, which is very much about giving reading assignments and giving homework between every session. Um, if you're not motivated to do the work, it's not gonna be a good fit.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds spot on in terms of what I found too. I mean, I love that it's, you kind of put the onus on accountability back to your clients so that they know like, look, it's why are you wasting your time or your money? Yeah. Um, talk to me about, you, you kind of use this term relationship reprogramming. What is that and kind of where did that come from?
1: Yeah, so I developed this idea of relationship programming um, when I, years ago, when I first really started to get into relationships, because as I started working with client after client, and I guess even just to back up a little bit. So I first Mm -hmm. started my career working with children and adolescents, and that's what I was very passionate about, you know, wanting to break the cycle. And, and as I started doing more work with the parents, realizing, like, as we know that that's where a lot of it's coming from, but realizing how much unprocessed trauma these parents were dealing with. That is what transitioned me more into that work and then realizing the attachment piece and the attachment traumas and all of that. And so I would say that my approach has really been years in the making of of the information I've gathered through the different populations I've worked with. And so all of this information on attachment led to me realizing that um, our programming is the most influential thing in our lives as an adult. And when I do work, work with Couples. Um, I so session one is the intake, and then session two and three is a timeline. So session two is timeline with partner A, and then partner B and, and session three. And everyone's in the room for it. So we're going through their timeline from birth.
0: So sessions two and three, even though you're you're really having a dialogue with one partner, the other one's sitting there.
1: Yes. And it okay. is, a, I
0: wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of that. I'm glad you clarified. And, it.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people don't. And when I, you know, when I'm having conversations with other couples counselors, they say, yeah, I do that similar, but I just do it one-on-one with, um, you know, whoever I'm going through their timeline. The beauty of it is that the partner is sitting there hearing the trauma firsthand. And yes, they've probably had a lot of these conversations, but not through the lens of empathy and attachment trauma. And so as they're sharing their timeline and I'm providing reflective statements and validation and empathy to like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't imagine what that was like and how that's showing up for you. The partner is then seeing firsthand, oh,
0: so yes, when they get- me, for that, right, yeah.
1: Yeah, when they get mad at me for this and they lash out, that's like the 10-year-old little boy really hurt and scared. It's a powerful thing. So that is where that pro that programming comes in. So whether I'm working with somebody individually or a couple, I use the same initial approach for them to determine. We figure out what their programming is by figuring out what is the themes of um, childhood, how it's being reinforced present day, um, and then we work to reprogram.
0: Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And I, you, you also buy um by having them watch you, you're modeling the empathy in such a great way where they're you know, they kind of mentally taking notes, whether they like it or not. Like, oh, if I just validate those feelings, that seems to help.
1: Yeah, they, look how safe my partner is feeling right now talking about such a horrible thing because they their space is being held for that, which is a perfect segue because then shortly thereafter I go into a tool, I use RBE, so reflect, validate and explore where I'm then teaching them how to use the same skills. Um, but you're right, they've seen it firsthand, so they have an idea.
0: And you you talk about attachments. Are you basing any of the work on Sue Johnson's work with Emotionally Focused Therapy, or is it kind of from a different place?
1: Um, there are some similarities, but when I think about attachment, I think about Bowlby. Like I take it, you know, way, way back to yeah. that. My yeah. dissertation is founded in Bowlby's work, and so, um, I do. I mean, I appreciate mm-hmm. Sue Johnson's work. I think she's brilliant. I think she's done a, a tremendous job with bringing attachment into it. Um, so certainly I've read her books um, and I I definitely apply that content. I would say that um, I've just taken between Gottman and Sue and um, I've just taken, you know, my own twist on it all.
0: Yeah. I find that, you know, what's great is when on this show where I talk to relationship experts, the three that keep coming up are Gottman, attachment, whether it's boldly or or Sue Johnson's work, and then Harville Hendricks with Imago. And it's like you see that the running themes like, okay, it's all about being validated and understanding that openness. And I think uh, you know, for for you what I see even on your Instagram is this sense of authenticity and vulnerability being important. Do you want to elaborate on why you find those two things so crucial to work in the relationship space
1: yeah yes and thank you for uh pointing that out and providing space for that because that is such a huge part of my work that is um in my book that's the very first page as i'm really i'm talking about that i go through all of the things i've experienced the the trauma the depression the anxiety the disorganized attachment. you know everything that my divorce i've experienced everything just like everyone else has, Um, I just have different tools to deal with it. And I've put in different work to process it. And so I feel that when I am able to show up as my authentic self, um, as you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about when we shame becomes so much less um, shameful, when we allow it out in the open, you know, when we allow these things that we're so afraid of people knowing, when we just own it, and just say, this is just who I am. Um, there's so much freedom in that. And so I really got in my head for a long time when I very first started my work as a relationship expert because I am divorced and I am single and I um, I have a lot of my own unprocessed trauma. And so, you know, the whole imposter syndrome thing we all deal with and um, it would it would twirl around and until so one day I was just like, forget it. I think it was probably one of the first, um, I did a caption on like, this is, this is me, and so take it or leave it. Um, and that is so important for my work because the person sitting across from me, when they know they're sitting across from somebody who actually gets it, the safety is just a game changer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you're out in the wild now uh, as a single divorcee with <laughs> relationship expert and a relationship podcast and huge social media following, do you find that you intimidate some of your <laughs> some of your I potential partners?
1: If, if I had a dollar for every time I was told I was intimidating, I would just retire on the beach tomorrow. Because yes, I I hear that so frequently. Um, as as the last man who said it to me though said, um, he was like, "I'm not saying it in a bad way, and don't you know, don't ever change who you are. This is a this is a, a, a us thing um, that we're intimidated by you. It's not a you thing. And so like. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, people are intimidated by it.
0: So I think there's a lot of women, especially career-focused women, who can identify with it. How do you break through that? And had or do you not? And you just use it as like a filtering mechanism for like, nope, not worth my time. I mean, what's your kind of approach
1: when it when it comes to dating? Is that well,
0: when it comes to men who are intimidated to you uh, of you.
1: Um, yeah, I guess if they if they're expressing that they're intimidated um and don't have a follow-up statement to have the self-awareness <laughs> to say this is a me thing, um, then yeah, that that's a deal breaker. Like I'm not interested in um in making myself smaller to protect your ego. That's not yeah. my to-do list.
0: Well, so tell tell me a little bit about this book. I know it's you're you you said it's coming up in November. Yeah. And so I'm sure the pre-order will come up soon as well. Yes. Um what was the what was the goal and the impetus for writing the book
1: So the book is titled uh, Relationship Reprogramming and it is sharing this approach. It is providing the tools for people to be able to pretty much go through this approach on their own. If they're unable to, you know, maybe don't have the time or resources to seek therapy, they're able, you know, I provide step by step of what they can do to start their own reprogramming. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I share my story. So it starts in my my pre-birth trauma, Um, talks about me being born into chaos and what that has done to my attachment style and um how I've worked to reprogram and and also then putting in the disclaimer that in spite of all my work to reprogram, I'm still right there with them fighting every day to continue to reprogram.
0: Lifelong work. Absolutely. Um, how important do you think it is to go that far back to childhood and pre-birth? And how much time do you spend on it? Because there are clients who come in to my practice and you know. Some of them have a fear like, are we just going to talk about my mom for the next three weeks or something? And, yeah. I go, and that's not my personal style. I'm much more solution focused. Right. But for some people, I feel like there's a yearning for that. And so I, I'll refer out if you want, you know, a psychoanalyst or something, especially. But sure. uh, what part, you know, wh- wh- how big of a role does that play in your work?
1: it is the foundation of my work because I don't believe that we can reprogram or we can change without the self-awareness to know where it came from. Um, A lot of the work that I do is around emotional regulation and being aware of why we behave the way we behave. And I think that if we don't know where it's coming from, it's really hard to regulate it and take control of it. And so I do not spend, um, we're not spending every session in that, but really the first Two to three sessions are are the timeline, and we are identifying themes. So whether we're going to be using that information to do EMDR, or um, if I'm doing couples, you know, it's, we're just using it to be able to show up better for the inner child. Um, but I do; it's a really big deal to me because I think of it as a computer, and the way that a computer is coded, or has stuff plugged into it. I don't know. People keep telling me to stop use use to stop using this analogy because I clearly <laughs> don't know <laughs> how a computer is made.
0: I don't know that much about them either. So I'm sitting however, there right with you, going, "Wow, she knows a lot." <laughs> yeah,
1: whatever we input into it is what is the output is. I know that much, um, and so I think it's the same as humans. Uh, we have to know where it's coming from.
0: Got it. If you, you know, do you approach? men and women differently in the work in terms of not just going through their trauma but what they're what they do you do you see any differences working between the you know the two sexes and the genders
1: um absolutely i think that the societal uh pressures we're going to see a difference in um we're also going to see often a difference in how they were parented and so that that is going to come up um and then how they show up in their partnership. Um, and so, yes, I in them pulling in their attachment style, which tends to, you know, genders definitely differ with that. Um, so I do see a difference with it, but I would say that the core of my work is pretty similar um, because I do see that a lot of men also want to be nurtured. They want to be validated and they, um, all the things that maybe society has said that they shouldn't want. They really do want. And I think that is powerful when they can, um, they can receive that and they can receive that from a, um, I'm, how, how do I word this? So a woman that is not like I present in more of a powerful alpha form, you know what I mean? And so when they see mm-hmm. that even somebody with that dynamic is, believes that they are deserving and, and, that that's important for them. I do think that's a bit of a shift for them. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I can relate to a lot of that. Do you find, I guess here's another question that came up as you were talking. Do you find that, you know, men are more accepting of a partner of a woman, a female partner who has anxious attachment style than women are of men who have an anxious attachment style. I'm kind of curious. Oh, Sure. Yeah.
1: Sorry, finish your sentence I'm
0: sorry <laughs> well so yeah i I would agree with you, Yes, they are more accepting, but um do you find that it's that the statistics are are right where that it is predominantly the women who have the anxious attachment style, and then when you have a flipped couple, um, it kind of presents differently and and there's kind of different challenges there
1: absolutely, and then when we bring in the societal norms right and the societal pressures that it makes um the misconception that a man is weak, if he has some of those anxious tendencies. And so as women, we were programmed in the same way to think that the same way that man feels weak, we were programmed to believe that the man is weak. That's right. Um, And so yeah, I do think that it is a lot harder when for a woman to be in a relationship with what we'll put in air quotes, a needy man, which is not at all what I think, but that's how they get labeled.
0: Yeah, that's how they're perceived, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And that is because, yeah, that, that even ties into the masculine and feminine energies and all of that. So I do think that that's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely up there. Um, your podcast is called Relatable. It is. So what what's the... What's the story behind the name and why did you decide to go with that?
1: Pretty much exactly what I was telling you, you know, with my social media presence and all of that, the authenticity and the vulnerability. um, And so putting it on there. So it's relatable relationships unfiltered. And so basically that we are going to talk about these things that maybe people are not talking about in their day-to-day conversations. We're going to try to normalize that we are all dealing with the same stuff. And so that was a big part
0: of it. Okay. So here's a, here's a question that I ask in one form or another to a lot of guests. If you're sitting on a, let's say a park bench and someone is, you know, sits down next to you, finds out what you do. And they say, give me one piece of advice to make my relationship better. And that you have known nothing about them. So just generic advice. What would, what would you offer?
1: Um, to put action into whatever they've most recently read. So I think that is the the biggest missing element out of anyone doing any personal work, but especially for couples, is the lack of action. So they're gonna come to therapy every week, they're going to read every book, they're gonna listen to podcasts, but when it actually comes to them getting uncomfortable and applying whatever it is they just learned, um, that doesn't happen. And so probably to the person on the park bench, I would say, what have you most recently learned? I don't, I don't care what it is. I don't care at all what it is. It was probably valuable. What did you learn? And when is the last time you applied it? Start applying it. And that's where we'll see the change.
0: So that leads me to a follow-up. If you have a coaching or a therapy client and they, you just notice that they're not doing the homework that you assign, how do you talk to them about that?
1: I'm going to hold a lot of space and empathy and dig into what are the negative core beliefs that are creating these barriers? You know, like, why are we self-sabotaging is kind of what I'm going to dig into. But also we know, so if I'm working with a um, counseling client, I don't really have these conversations as much in coaching unless I'm um, more like referring out to go find that help. But it's also like, are there symptoms of anxiety, depression, ADHD? Are there undiagnosed symptoms um, or ailments that are impacting you from doing that? Because I think you probably see that as well. There's often more to the story when, you know, it's not usually just defiance. Um, And so we're going to dig into, is there other things going on? What can I do to support you? And what are the negative core beliefs that are are stopping you from making improvement?
0: Yeah, I found that recently, I don't know what it is. I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, people who struggle with addiction that have come through the door. It's like, I I feel like my name's been being passed around a 12 step. It's so kind of prevalent. Um, And so that, that adds kind of a a component similar to what you're talking about, but also this is new. So like out of the last decade, this is, this is new. I have a lot of people self-diagnosing as autistic or on the spectrum Mm. and, and kind of and i see where they come from but it almost feels like they're using it as an excuse as to why things haven't worked and listen they present when you hear well why are you self-diagnosing they have things where you're like you probably are an un- you know undi- undiagnosed on the spectrum but why you're bringing it up now seems kind of strange so it's you're right like those external i'll call them even though they're internal kind of the external factors because they're not really unique to the relationship do kind of present some challenges especially when you when like ADHD when you have problems kind of keeping track and staying on task if you have to do a homework assignment with your spouse or partner that that becomes quite <laughs> cumbersome
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and i think when people struggle to understand what the actual issue is they point the finger towards themselves. They, they, they think, well, there's gotta be something wrong with me because if I can't follow through with my homework, if I can't improve my relationship, if I can't do these things that it seems like everyone else is doing, there's gotta be something wrong with me. And so I Mm want to figure out what that is. And then come on. I mean, social media is not helping you and I out at all in our field in terms of the self-diagnosing and um, you know, everyone coming in with every ailment under the sun. So I think that that's definitely played a role in it. Um, but I definitely have empathy when people come in self-diagnosing or saying, you know, like there's just something wrong with me because I, I just can't get it right. Yeah. Um, that sucks. I, I,
0: I agree with you. I have a lot of empathy when there's the self-diagnosis. The, the one that pisses me off is when they, they say their partner's a narcissist or their part of them when they're diagnosing yeah. their partner. And I'm like, I a
1: lot of empathy for that. Yeah, it's like,
0: what are you doing? You're not like <laughs> I don't even diagnose. Like stop. Stop. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, do you find that there there's unique advice being that you're a divorcee that you offer to divorced women? Um, or is it just a healthy approach to relationships is a healthy approach, period? That
1: that's what I believe. So um some of the a couple of the things that I talk about that are not you know, maybe not everyone is talking about is um, really identifying your five needs, wants and boundaries. um, And like, stop looking for the unicorn. So I'm a big believer in if you want a relationship, there are plenty of eligible people to be in a healthy relationship Just stop looking for perfect and start looking for someone who's willing to do the work. Yeah. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I give for single. When I'm working with single people, um, or even if somebody's in a situation of should I stay or should I go, it's like the grass is not greener. If you yeah. have somebody who's willing to be self-aware and willing to put efforts towards change, that's your unicorn, my friend. Like that's yeah. about the best you can get.
0: I think that's probably the hardest thing for me. I don't know if you would concur, but when you get a couple where they've been together for a long time. Probably, you know, 15, 20 years, even sometimes they've, and one of them has lost a sense of that magic, and the other person wants to help and change, and they say no, and they kind of have one foot out the door and they're leaning towards a divorce. And it's like you want to shake them and go, it's not going to be any easier. Once you separate and you have kids, and like, you know, you like these problems that you have are going to follow you into your next relationship. And it's like, it's so. It's, you know, inside you're like, just listen, just listen, like, give it a shot, work on it here. That's probably one of the most painful things to deal with.
1: Yeah. And I often ask people like, did you have spark at one point? You know, Mm -hmm. if I'm working with somebody like that, do you still have spark? Are you sexually attracted to each other? Are you, and if those things are true and these other things are true, that change it, like they're willing to change. Then I often have that conversation of, Hey, Let's really work on this before we throw in the towel because you have the two things that are pretty hard to find and also hard to find in tandem. So, if both of those exist, let's work on it. But if a couple comes in and they're like, no spark, we haven't had sex in years, like, there's no romantic. That conversation does look a little different however what I do say in those situations because my ex-husband and I we got divorced almost um, 4 years ago at this point but uh, we were married for 17 years uh, and he's still my best friend in the entire world. And so a lot of the work that I do with people in those situations is you guys love each other, you get a lo- like you can get along in a lot of ways that doesn't mean you have to stay married, but how can we go about this in a way where you can maintain some type of, um, I mean, you, your family at that point, especially if you have kids, your family, Yeah. So how can we do this different than the traditional divorce? So I guess back to your other question of, you know, if there's something different that I offer for divorced individuals, um, that would probably be it through my own personal experience of just because you get divorced does not mean you have to be done being a family.
0: That's great advice. Well, if if you're if you're listening to this right away and and uh, Dr. Frederick's book is not available for pre-order, then um, stay tuned because it will be very soon. Uh, but you also offer private coaching, probably for anybody in the world. I would assume that's, yeah. that's um What's the best way for them to reach out? Is it through your website?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my website Fedrick dot com. Uh, my last name is uh Fed Rick, so that often gets confused. Um, and then my Instagram at Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick as well. Um and either one of those methods to get a hold of me is great. But yeah, I do it for counseling. Um I do that only in the state of Arizona, but coaching, yep, I do. I have clients all over the world.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I'll be sure to leave the links for everything in the show notes. If you're listening, if you're listening in your car, Fedric. Just for those of you who want to kind of make a mental note, is F E D. There's no R after the F. Is that is that where people make a mistake? So it's Fedric. So Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick, Liz, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun getting to know
1: you. Thank you. Thanks, John. I appreciate
0: it. If you're interested in learning how to get the absolute most out of your romantic relationships, then you're in luck because I have put together a free workshop or masterclass, if you will, about three secrets that people in happy relationships have discovered. com slash three secrets. Again, it's completely free. Just go there and watch it. It'll help you on your journey, give you some wisdom, some things to think about. The website again is mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. That's mrspirituality.com slash the number three, the word secrets. It's all yours. Enjoy.